Okay, and uh, as we uh, as we we begin to hear God's word, let's pray together. Father, uh, we thank you and praise you for the gift of your word. Thank you that it is the living word, and we pray that as we listen and as we consider your word, that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and minds, opening our, our eyes, the inward eyes of our hearts to your truth, to strengthen, transform, and bring glory to the Lord Jesus in all of our life. In, in his name we pray, amen. Well, it's great to be here today, and I recognize almost all of you from last night, which is really good. Um, Often when I preach, I don't know the people who I'm preaching at now. These days, that's been one of the differences of being a bishop and going to a different church every Sunday in different parts of Canada. So uh, great to see you again this morning. And uh, we are going to be looking at Acts 17. So if you can turn into your Bibles, it'll be very helpful because we'll go through this and... um, it is so uh, applicable when I was going through this to, and thinking about who you are as a church, as a gathering of God's people, it's so applicable to you. Because in this um, passage, Paul is saying that we have this incredible gift. In fact, it is the unique gift. It is the greatest gift that the world can possibly receive. And that's the gift of the gospel. The gospel, the, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is this treasure that is uh, beyond anything this world can offer. And it's the one great thing that we as a church can bring to the world. And what Paul is showing us here is what it's like to have that treasure and to bring it to a city that doesn't know anything about Jesus, that does not know a thing, has no background, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, he, is, he, is, uh, he is encouraging us, I believe, in this passage. Because at the very beginning of Acts, he says this. He says, O Theophilus, this is Luke writing. He says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and preach and teach. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel of Luke that he wrote. This is part two. And he says, um, uh, I I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and and teach. That's a critical word, began, because it's saying that this is a record of what Jesus continued to do in the world, in his ministry, and who did he do it through? It was his people, God's people. Uh, And so what we have here in Acts is a record of what you and I can most certainly be encouraged by. Because it is the ministry of Jesus Christ that you are about, that you are continuing. That's why Acts is written, to encourage you in that. And so um, here in Acts, what is ha- or in chapter 17 of Acts, Paul is in this city of Athens. He's continuing his missionary journey. He's come, he's waiting around. <laughs> it's like a big waiting room for Timothy and Silas to join him. And he's in this city that's not that big. Athens is past its glory days. 400 years before was the height of that that city's glory. And um, now it's declined in population, but all the good things are still there. And all the people who have been thinking about these things for hundreds of years are still there. Uh, It's a city smaller than Charlottetown. In fact, it's very close to the size of Summerside. Not much bigger. Summerside's about 15,000. It was about that size by then. And there were uh, 
historians said at the time there's more idols than uh, people in this city. And that was probably actually pretty accurate. Lots of idols. But this place was the birthplace of democracy. It's an incredible place of learning. It's the cradle of civilization. It's the birthplace of modern medicine. It's a place that was the foundation for philosophy. And it had amazing architecture. I mean, the engineering in that place. If you've ever been to Athens, you can still see these uh, incredible temples built. How did they ever do it? Um, and you can imagine that th those ruins today are awesome to see. Can you imagine what they were like when they were intact? They were gleaming white gold. Um, it was an awesome sight to see. It's the highest human achievement and knowledge that's represented in this city of Athens. But the one thing they didn't know with all that giftedness and incredible learning is they did not know the living God. They didn't know the living God. And Acts 17 is wonderful because Paul introduces the city to the living God who makes himself known. He actually speaks to us through that precious gospel. And that gospel is what we were singing about, that it is that Jesus was crucified for our sins on a cross, that he rose in great power as Lord over everything, even sin and death these great enemies of humanity, and he frees us to know God forever as his adopted children, as his own people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. He fills each of us with his Holy Spirit today. And Paul in Romans 1 said about this gospel that it is the power of God for salvation, first to the Jews and then to the Greeks, but it is this powerful a gift to us that actually saves all who believes. And this is our ministry. You here in Redemption Church, our ministry is to carry that gospel into the world. It's this great privilege we have. It's this great blessing. And God gives um, three things to Paul so he can do this. And I think it's really helpful for us to think about real briefly. He gives Paul a grace-filled heart. He gives him a bridge and he gives them him the clear message, the very clear message that does this change, the power of God for salvation. So I want to look at those three things. First, he gives a, a grace-filled heart. Uh, now, as Paul's waiting, he, as you can see there, he checks out this city of Athens. He spends time there. And as he's spending time uh, seeing people and seeing the city, something happens to his heart. There's something powerful that happens to his heart. Look at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And that word provoke is really, really strong. It's where the word, uh, it's the root of the word paroxysm. It's like a heart attack. It's like uh, having a seizure almost in his heart. And the reason for that is because the city is full of idols, as I said, you know, more idols than people. And those idols were designed to bring success, to bring success to the city. But these people, Paul was seeing, were devoting themselves to things of no lasting value whatsoever. That, but their lives was all about that. And he had such a strong reaction because in his heart, he was gripped by a couple of things. 
The first thing he was gripped by was the glory of God. He had a desire to bring glory to Jesus. He's gripped in his heart by the vastness of God's love, by the incredible majesty and holiness and beauty of God, and his mercy for himself and for all of those people that are there, that God is good. And the reason for that is he experienced that when he first became a Christian. On the road to Damascus, um, this, was, this became the reality in his life. He saw Jesus. He was gripped by who Jesus was for him. And that's why he wrote to neighboring Corinth. A little while later, he said, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what he is gripped by. And he's saying, how could people ignore and miss out on that glory? Jesus deserves all praise and thanksgiving and and honor. That's what people were made for. And that's why at the end of verse 18, if you check that out, you can see Paul spoke constantly about Jesus and his resurrection glory. When he was talking to people, that's what he was talking about. His heart's gripped by a desire for that glory. But his heart is also gripped by a real love for other people, a love for people who are outside people who were strangers outside his circles. And so you can see in 17, uh, verse 17, he spent time with very different types of people. So first of all, you can see that he reasoned in the synagogue on the Sabbath with his fellow Jews. Uh, And he was reasoning with them saying that, you know, God who you have been looking for, the Messiah, he has come. He has come to make all things right in our relationship with God, to heal it and to bring the promises of the prophets um, uh, true and to fulfill them. This has happened. Jesus is the one who's done that. He has, he has glory. And then he secondly, he goes out and he goes to the Agra. We were, we, you know, when you, when you go to um, the Agra, it's like uh, what was happening in downtown Charlottetown yesterday. You know, there was all these people gathered there. There was uh, parades. There was markets. There was the place of people being together. And it was also there that the gossip of the city was made known. If you want to know what was happening, you didn't go to the internet. You went to the Agora. You went to the marketplace. So he went there, and he had countless conversations there with buyers and sellers who are trying to make a living, money central, And he has these conversations with him. Uh, And then finally, he hung out with another group of people. And they were the intellectuals. They were the philosophers. I don't know how exciting that would have been. (laughs) Probably the least exciting of the bunch. But there were Epicureans and there were Stoics who were there. Those were the big ones. And uh, they guided people in the big questions of life. The Epicureans... Believe that God, and see if this sounds familiar, they believe God was irrelevant, that you really couldn't know God, and that the world was due to chance. And there's no life after death. There's no judgment. And so human beings, really what we should all be about is to pursue pleasure. Like we just pursue the good life, especially this enjoyment of life free from pain or fear. Just live a happy, good life. Don't let anything upset you. Um, where I was from in Vancouver, that's what life was about for many people. Uh, But Paul turned their thinking upside down. He said that in Jesus, 
we actually know God. We know God who created us. It wasn't by chance. We know his love for us. He is near us, and his Holy Spirit fills us. And there is this deep purpose in life to um, know God and enjoy him forever, as a great catechist once said. Uh, his, his great purpose is our greatest need, and that is our salvation. That's what God is all about. And uh, he will judge the earth, so God is deeply relevant for every single person. What a change from what the Epicurean would believe. And then the Stoics uh, believed that God was this impersonal, transcendent uh, um, Force And in fact, I think that's the best explanation. It's like Star Wars. They were way before George Lucas. They understood the force. That's what they were all about. That was their religion. And uh, the force governs all things to its ultimate good. And if you want to have a good life, you've got to be in harmony with what's going on with those fates and that force uh, in order to live a fulfilling life. So God turns that on its head as well. And he said, no. God is deeply personal. God is personal. He created each of us to love him. And Jesus, in Jesus, we call him Father, and we are adopted. This is what Paul was teaching all through Romans. And, uh, uh, and in, that, in that adoption, we're not self-sufficient. God, he said to them, actually created each of us. In him we live, we move, we have our being. Every breath you take is a miracle. It's a gift that God has given to you, he told them. And so true harmony that the Stoics look for can only come if the God who created you brings you into peace with him. That is where harmony comes from because in that peace with God, it changes our lives, our relationships with one another. The forgiveness of sins becomes our central reality. That changes the way that you live your life with other people. And so you can see that Paul's life is, is gripped by a passion for Jesus and his glory. He's filled with joy at the forgiveness of sins and what God has given to him in being his child, but his heart is also gripped by a deep love for those who don't know God. Um, they, he wants the well-being of people in his life so that the God who spoke to him speaks to them as well. May God help us to speak about Jesus. So, um, so there's this grace-filled heart that Paul has. And then secondly, there is the bridge. He gives them bridges. Look at verse 22. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now, the thing that's uh, wonderful about this is, is Paul perceives, because he cares enough, what the state of the people are there. And he sees that they are worshiping an unknown God. And he says to them, he uses that bridge, and he says, I know this God. God has actually spoken to the world in the Lord Jesus, who is God's living word. And so Paul can say to them, what I want you to know that I know the living God. And here's how you can know him as well. Now, God gives those bridges to us as well. 
Uh, and th I think it's something that we pray for. We pray for appointments that God sets up. Uh, and to pray for people in your life, which we did last night, is such a wonderful thing to do. Because God works very powerfully through those prayers, and it changes you, too. God makes you aware of, what, uh, of openings. Uh, and it can happen unexpectedly. Um, a, a few years ago, I owned a house that needed to have some big repairs made in the family room because the outside there was water getting in. And so as part of that work, it ended by having to have stuccoing done, which I couldn't work on with my friend because I'd done all the other work before. So I, uh, I hired a guy to come and repair his, this, this house. And um, this crew did a fantastic job. They were great. And the owner came with them as well. And I have to say, his crew did a really good work because he just talked. He loved to talk. <laughs> he was quite a character. And he talked with me a lot, so I, I, I hung out with him. And he, he told me his life as these guys were stuccoing who worked for him. And he talked about his struggle with alcohol. Uh, and that he told me he had given it up for the most part and that things were a lot better. And then he said, you know, I didn't have a come to Jesus moment or anything, but things are going well, I've changed. And I couldn't resist that opening. And so I said, well, you missed the best part. And he kind of took a double take and he said, uh, are you religious? <laughs> and I said, um, well, uh, if you mean by that, I, if I believe this, I do. I believe in Jesus. I believe he changes everything. And he said, uh, so you believe that stuff? And I said, yeah, so much so that I became a minister. Now, that can be a real conversation dampener. <laughs> that can just stop the conversation right there. But for some people, uh, it is an opening that they walk into. And that is what he did. I mean, the next day and a half, we talked a lot about God. We talked a lot about the church. Uh, he couldn't stop asking questions. And uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the session, he, uh, he charged me way less than what he said. And I said, you ch didn't charge me enough. And he said, no, you've got to give the rest of it to the church. I said, okay. <laughs> he said, but you make sure you do that. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I, I think what this says is that as you love those who don't know God, if you care about who they are, um, if you're praying for them or those opportunities, God gives openings. He will certainly give openings, and they are unique to who you are. That will happen in your conversations with family, with friends, and even strangers. Um, in fact, in often unlikely ways, with strangers. It's a gift that God gives to us. It's the way that, that actually the primary way that God brings people to know him is through those gospel conversations. I just want to commend you to pray for those bridges. Uh, and that brings us to the third thing that God gives Paul, and I end this sermon with it, and that is the message. Uh, and I love this part of the passage because it's very simple, it's very clear personal message. And you have to know that Luke is writing in shorthand here, right? This is probably a conversation over hours. They're back and forth. Um, but um, the leaders and intellectuals wanted to hear more from Paul because this was something new. And I love what it says later on in verse 21. They'd, they would spend their time uh, in nothing except telling or hearing something new. It was a passion for the uh, Athenians. So they bring them to the place called the Areopagus. 
And um, I've been there before. You stand up there. You know for sure that's where Paul was because that was the place where these discussions happened. And you look over the glory of Athens from that place. You're high up. You see the Acropolis. You see all these incredible um, buildings of worship and learning and so forth. Uh, And they are there, the listeners, to judge whether his message is worth hearing. And, uh, and, he, and listen to what Paul says. He begins by saying that there is a God who is in charge of everything, who created everything. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, you imagine him saying that with the massive Parthenon there, this home and temple for the goddess Athena looming above him. And Paul says, look, we don't make a home for God. God makes a home for us. And, uh, uh, and this is the world that we created. Every breath we take is this gift. And then he says a second thing. He says, that God who has created us made us to know him personally. That's how he made us. So that's what he says in verse 26. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet actually, he is not far from each one of us. Isn't that something? He's saying people are created in God's image. They are made to know him personally. He is in charge of all things, and that God who rules everything is close to us. You will not find what you're looking for until you believe Jesus and trust in him. Blaise Pascal put it really well. Uh, He was uh, the precursor to calculus, uh, geometry. Uh, Students everywhere don't like uh, Blaise Pascal because of it. Uh, he, he, although he created the hydraulic lift and pressure and so forth. And, uh, he was a Renaissance man beyond any other person, philosopher. By the way, he gave up mathematics uh, when he had this conversion to becoming a Christian. And I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> this, he just wrote about God. And, and after that, he wrote this, this saying, this um, sentence. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person which can't be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. Because this is what we were made by, for, by the one who created us, we will not be satisfied. The people that you know in your life will not find true satisfaction until they know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The deepest desire the deepest thing that we are about will not be satisfied until those persons in your life know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, um, and, and then he says this. He says that God who is personal, who is close to you, he actually speaks to you. He calls us to know him and to turn to him and away from sin. Turn to him and away from sin. And he says this in verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. 
Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, now he commands all of you in Athens, all people everywhere to repent. And he's telling them that unlike the gods that are in your life, the gods that you follow and worship, money, uh, learning, fame, all of those things um, are, are worth of no value. Because God created us personally, he speaks to us. And he urgently is calling every single person to turn to him for real love, for real fulfillment, for the forgiveness of sins, for this peace with God, reconciliation and restoration, and a new life of following him. This is the gift of God. This is what he is calling every person personally to. And Paul ends with the way, you know, this is the way you end every evangelistic sermon, right? Uh, He ends by saying, God's going to judge the world. He's going to judge the world in Jesus Christ by him. By this one who has risen from the dead. He has fixed a point, uh, verse 30, on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And that's the way um, we're, we, we leave this sermon. Because Paul is saying, you great leaders, you're not my judge. In fact, there is one man who is greater than all the learning, than all the achievements, than all that this city has done. All the leaders of this great city. And he has the future in his hands. He will judge the world perfectly. He will make all things right. And every single person here in Athens, here in Charlottetown, in Summerside or wherever, they will be face to face with this Lord Jesus who created them, who actually has died for them, uh, has given him his, their mercy, his mercy, and uh, who he actually calls to turn to him as well. This is the one who is worth devoting your life to. He has the world in his hand. He has the future of every person in his hand. And his glory is our goodness and his joy. He is the only one who gives your life true purpose and true love. He is the one who brings us to know him, turn to him, because he is close to you. May God fill our hearts with his grace and his love. Grip our hearts so that you make him known to people in your life. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, for his good news, the greatest gift that you and I can give to the world. Amen.